It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. I'm your host, Justin Poulin. Joining me, as always, John Duke. We have uh, a lot to talk about. John is just wrapping up his vacation. I'm in the middle of a two-week stint myself, having gone from Maine to the Outer Banks, uh, on Saturday, a 12-hour travel day with the wife and the family. But we are still going strong. We had a show for you earlier, well, a late show uh, later last week, so just a few days ago. But so much has already happened, John. And it is always the way, I think, that you and I go on vacation and things begin to happen. Now, Gordon Hayward, the start of free agency, that was all very expected, and I think we all knew that Avery Bradley was the most likely candidate, and we said as much on the most recent show. I don't know that I saw Marcus Morris coming, though. That one came out of the blue for me. I I still like the deal. I'm a little concerned about the legal issues, although I don't think it'll end up having any kind of a major impact in terms of games missed. I think, what, 10 might be the precedent that's set. But he does give the Celtics uh, a 3-4 player who might even play some center in a small ball lineup, even though they would still strut out Al Horford in that scenario. He gives them some muscle. He gives them some grit. Gives them some fight. He can shoot the three ball, so that's nice. And it helps the roster balance out because we knew that the glut of guard situation was going to come to a head. And with the signing of Gordon Hayward... They got creative, they created cap space, and they've really, I think, positioned themselves pretty well. They obviously have Marcus Smart and Isaiah Thomas still coming up, but they can go over to the, the over the cap to sign those players, I believe. It's just how much will it cost them, and it's not going to be so many different players that they're going to have to make a decision on. I'm not ruling out that, I'm not so sure about Isaiah, but I'm definitely not ruling out uh, a rookie deal extension for Marcus Smart. They've done it before. Yeah. I think that's likely before. I think what, what they get to like November or, or late November, early December to make a decision on something like that before it's definitely going to go to next year. I think it's October, late October. Yeah. That's right. And I think you're right. That's a, that's, that's the, I think the natural, as long as his agent is, is really, 
reading the tea leaves the way we are, which is, look, there's not a lot of places for free, for free agent point guards to play. I think that we all thought going into free agency, well, you know, Lowry's going to get maxed out. He's going to have a number of suitors. And, you know, there, there would just be a, a cavalcade of, of these players kind of moving around. Chris Paul and, you know, it just it'd get nuts. And it didn't really. I mean, there was it was really everyone took some sort of haircut along the way. Uh, even Gordon Hayward, though, of a different kind when he got to Boston. Um, that, yeah, I think – I think that getting smart at a, at a reasonable deal, if they could get him around $10 million a year, which I think would be a good number for him, that's what Roberson's getting in Oklahoma City, uh, and, and the potential for, for smart going forward. He gets a, a bump in salary, you know, and he gets some, some con, and the Celtics get some continuity there. Um, because he is now the longest tenured Celtic at this point. How weird. Uh, with, with, How with Bradley's weird. departure. Can you believe it? <laughs> no. No, it's really bizarre. And so he's the elder state, statesman, so to speak. He knows the Celtics culture. I think they made the right decision. There's a lot of people out there that are not happy about losing Avery Bradley. And I understand it 100%. It can still be the right deal, but a painful one. And I think that's the case here. I, the last remaining member of the championship Celtics from 07 and 08, right? A younger player who yep. forced Ray Allen. This, so a man not 07 08. What's that? Not 07 08. 10 11. 10 11. No, 10 11. Right. 10 11. Forces, yeah. forces, uh, Ray Allen out of the starting lineup. So he's a man after my own heart. And it looks like Gordon Hayward might get number 22. So <laughs> you make it really hard for them to retire Ray's number. I'm, uh, you know, we're not going to go down the Ray Allen path on this show. We've got the whole off season to fill with content, so we can let this one be. We can table this one. But just yeah. having said that, the 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 deal had to be made. There was no way Avery Bradley wasn't going to get a huge payday. There was no way at all. And truthfully, Marcus Smart was the guy you keep, not because he's necessarily the better player. But because he fits what the Celtics are trying to do in terms of positional flexibility, the fact that he's cost controlled this year, they both were coming up on their contracts at the same time. And I think it's going to help him a ton. I think we could see him and his offense, Marcus Smarts, I mean, grow. And we said this last year that it was going to be a breakout year and it wasn't. So we've, we've fallen into this trap before, John. But this could be the year, I think, where things do begin to open up for him just by virtue of more shooters out on the floor. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true because the the problem he's always been in, you know, he was playing a lot of minutes before with, with Evan Turner and talking about two non shooters on the floor at the same time. And that's just not a good situation for Marcus. And now he's gonna be sharing the floor with, you know, at worst, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, you know, maybe Rozier. I mean, you, you've got their options out there for him, and, and that's just got to help him. Now, look, we need to see more out of out of Marcus. Marcus has got to get that shot to where he can rely upon it to some degree. I love that he made seven three pointers against the Cavs in Game Three, but if if you had told me he could do that again, um, I would probably be shocked. <laughs> you know, yeah, you bet against case. it. You'd bet against you it would. for sure. You have to. I love Marcus. I mean, this is, 
we are we are we are in the tank here for Marcus Smart. There's no question. We love Marcus Smart. Love the guy. Great guy. Does everything we want to see a guy do out there. Just there's some parts of his game that need a little bit more work than others, and that's one of them. And he needs to be a, a bigger threat offensively. He can do things offensively. I don't believe he's a non-offensive player. He he is he has gotten really good at running the pick and roll. His his vision has improved. His read of the game has has gotten to a, a great place. But he's got to find a way to be a scorer in some capacity. He's got to be able to get to the rim. He's got to be able to get his shot off and. That's right now. That's when he's got to be working on that. I thought it was going to be last year, too. You know, I did. But now that he's got the floor open, maybe that opens the door for him. And unfortunately, with Avery Bradley going, you hate to see that happen. But you're right. It gives him opportunity. And it gives opportunity to a lot of guys, Rozier especially, to be able to step up uh, a little bit here and maybe earn a little bit more time and and use that opportunity to benefit themselves as as even Rozier is going to be entering a situation where next summer he'll be extension eligible. All right, so before we talk about what we think the starting lineups might be look might look like, the Celtics apparently coming to terms with Aaron Baines, who will give them some front court depth as well as obviously receiving Marcus Morris in the trade for Avery Bradley. The Celtics also sending out a second round pick. What do you think about Morris? Do you like the acquisition? Do you think that? Him and his brother, his twin, identical twin brother, are now going to become mortal enemies because of the Washington Wizards rival. Obviously, the answer to that is no. Those two guys are tight. But two Philadelphia boys, uh, they're going to be going at it. What do you? Who's the better Morris brother, and do you like the addition? Uh, well, Mar- Markeith is the better Morris brother right now, and, and he has been. So... Think of, of the battle of the Morrises. We're probably going to be not the victor in that battle. Thankfully, we have more to go to battle with with the Washington Wizards than, than just uh, Marcus Morris. Can I? But can I think I jump he'll be real quick on I think that. Let me ask you: Do yeah. you say that Markeith is better than Marcus? I know in Phoenix that was the case, but do you think some of it is the impact of Andre Drummond around Marcus that makes that gap look even wider? Uh, that's a good question. I, I no, I don't think so. I mean, I think Markeith was a better player in Phoenix. Um, I think he was. I think he's always been the better player, the better player at Kansas. Um, I I think that that Markeith, um, while Markeith probably has, uh, I think he's, he's certainly a more effective scorer, um, rebounder. I mean, it's not like we're talking about a night and day situation. They still are similar, somewhat players. Uh, who've, who've, who are both similarly sized, can do similar things. We saw what Markeith did, you know, in, the, in that, in that playoff series against the Wizards. He was able to play, you know, in kind of some bully ball a little bit as, as a bigger player against Jay Crowder in game and one. And tough as nails. Tough as nails coming off of that ankle injury. We need, and, and I think that's what we saw with both Baines and Moore and, and Marcus Morris coming in here. You got tough guys coming in, guys who aren't going to let the other team punk us. And I felt like last year that happened quite a bit. You and I were calling for, you know, look, you gotta, if you're, if the Cleveland Cavaliers are gonna get to the bucket, you gotta send them down with a foul, you know? And, and we didn't have guys who could do that. Now, 
Marcus Morris, yep, he can do that. Aaron Baines, Zeph, definitely. He looks like a bouncer right out of 1985. You know, I mean, this is – we've got guys who can mix it up a little bit here, which, and I think Zizic will be that way. I'm not sure Yabaselli's that type of player. Um, maybe Ojale is, is able to go a little bit more uh, of a fight uh, than, we, than we saw out of, out of Crowder. Um, not to say Crowder isn't, isn't a tough guy, but – you know, when guys were flying at the rim in that series, Crowder wasn't part of that mix. So I, I think we get some muscle, some muscle and some, some, some fouls to throw around, which I think is helpful. I mean, that's but not, they a, that's can not still a space you know, the floor. They still, absolutely. Fit, Brad, I would say the only, the only really exception. So they don't have the, the three positions, so to speak, player, the two, three, four in Morris, but you can't when you're trying to get strength and length and you're trying to get your front court built up. You're not going to get somebody who's that incredibly flexible position-wise, but and maybe maybe having maybe allowing Marcus Smart to be the exception to that rule, just based on some of his performances <laughs> in the past, right? We'll put that little asterisk Absolutely. there for Marcus, but but typically speaking, what they are looking for in positional flexibility at the four and the five, which is really just their bigs. They're not even fours and fives. They're just from their bigs is somebody who can knock down a shot. Now, Baines isn't a three-point shooter, but he's got a decent mid-range game. I think he moves well, which is a big key for them. And then Morris obviously can shoot the three and is more that three-four. So they still keep the way that they would prefer to play the game in signing these two guys. But to your point, how many times did I say what I'd really like to see is Jalen Brown just use his fouls? Mm -hmm. Just go be over aggressive, <laughs> you know, take Kevin Garnett's swatting the shot away after the whistle theory and just go ahead and, and, you know, be a pest and foul people and, uh, use them all up. So we didn't really, you know, we didn't really see that. This is a much needed scenario for the Celtics. They had to bring this on and that part I like. I, I, do I think that it's true value? For Avery Bradley, no. But I think the real no. key point is here is that Morris's contract is two years. It's the toughness, and they added a rotation player. I think they certainly could have gotten better value if they were willing to absorb more draft picks, but they weren't going to get a lottery pick for Avery Bradley because they were going to trade him to you know, a team you would think that is hoping to maybe not be a seller dweller. Um, and I don't, you know, I guess that's Detroit. But... But at the same time, they really manage the cap. They get a rotation player for two years, and I think that's what they needed to do. And then it opens up enough space for them to be able to add Bain, sign Zizic, and do the other things that they want to do around developing the youth. Absolutely. Yabuselli is probably the biggest the biggest issue there because I think most of us thought you know, Yabuselli is the one who might be stashed, might be left out without doing something like this. If if they had gone after let's say this they'd sent out Marcus instead of Bradley, there's still a chance they might not have been able to keep Yapaselli. They still might have had to stash him. Now by sending out Bradley, in a way, for the eighteen Celtics, it's it, in a way the trade is Bradley for Gordon Hayward, Marcus Morris, and Gershon Yabaselli. That's a pretty damn good trade. Anytime you could do it. You know, and and that's 
I, I mean, it's unfortunate, and I think there's a lot of folks out there that are really lamenting the loss of Avery Bradley and, and are appreciative of what he's done. None of this stands in the way of that. None of that says that Bradley wasn't a great player, but it's just the fact of it that when you look at the contracts and the contracts being what they are, Bradley being up next year, expecting to get a big raise, the Celtics cannot afford in under no certain, <laughs> in no uncertain terms can they do that. Even if, you know, IT took a ridiculous contract or he didn't even take a contract at all, they'd still be in the luxury tax. So that wasn't going to happen. Um, it was, it was always, Bradley was always going to be the one that had to go and it's sad to say, had gotten but Paul George in return, it. then people would have been yeah. totally fine with it. And that's the, and that's the truth. So just let's back up for a second and let's just say, I think everybody knew that Avery Bradley, at least Celtics Twitter was been talking about it. Avery Bradley really was the guy who was going to have to go. It was the most logical decision. And with that in mind, you would have loved to see Paul George come, but obviously Indiana pulled the trigger before Danny could package something. You definitely would have <laughs> seen Jay Crowder in that trade as well. They, I think they could have gotten Avery Bradley, Bradley Jay Crowder, and a pick for, uh, they would, I think they would have given that up for Paul George because yeah. of the yeah. salary concerns. There were going to be Absolutely. salary issues. Yeah. They might have thrown in more. Uh, and hope to re- get some picks back to try to balance out the trade. And I wouldn't be surprised if they made it known that they were willing to do that. I think there was something about Paul George and his statement about wanting to be a Laker. And yeah, I think they could have convinced him to stay. But I think at the end of the day, there was not a, a lot of confidence in the Celtics work about them really making this deal and making it ultimately work for them long term because of the roster crunch. I think Bernadoni really laid it out for us that it almost never made sense to add Paul George just because of what it would do to their salary cap. However, they could have made a choice if Marcus Smart had a great year not to resign not to resign Isaiah Thomas and they could have rolled forward with, you know, Smart, Hayward, Brown, Tatum and Horford and uh, Paul George, like they could have made that difficult decision like you and I discussed on this show. But, yeah. but did they really want to take that risk knowing that he might just end up walking away? And when you talk about cost control players like Marcus Morris, Jay Crowder is another one with a very similar cap friendly contract that if you remember when they put all, everything in for Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett, they had nothing left. And that worked then, but that would not work now, thanks to the Golden State Warriors. That's right. The league is a different place now than it was in 2007, 2008. I mean, 2007, 2008, you had to worry about the Spurs, who were a good team, not a great team, but a good team. You know, they had, they had a great player in Tim Duncan, some really talented all-stars in Ginobili and Parker, um, that were at, at at or near their peaks as, as, as players, but it wasn't the same. You know, Kobe was on a bad team trying to get out. It, it was just a different dynamic. Now, you know, you've got to, you've got to really load up. And what's been interesting as we've kind of, now we're a couple, almost, you know, a week into free agency, I guess, or more than a week into free agency. I'm surprised how many teams have, have taken that challenge and, and have actually tried to, to, to get better. 
after really a year and a half of kind of sitting on their hands. How many teams, how many times do we sit back at trade deadlines and drafts and say, why is nobody trading? It wasn't even a question that the Celtics weren't doing it. Nobody else was doing it either. And now it's like, okay, now everything's happening. It almost seemed like it was everything was happening, but Danny wasn't able to take advantage in the way that he wanted to because of the order of operations dictated that he had to have get an answer from Hayward first to then, you know, make other moves like Paul George. And so now that, you know, it really kind of set them back a bit. Hopefully though, this does keep rolling and, and, and the sense of other teams being willing to move will continue, want to move players will continue to occur. Because look, if everyone just holds still, Golden State's just going to kick everyone's behinds for the next three, four, five years. So teams have to be looking to say, look, I'm not going to get better. I need to try to build up so that I'm ready after that run or, you know, make basically get off the pot, you know, let's move forward and, and figure out what we're going to do. And I think that that we finally saw that here. There is one more move to be made, and I think we're all kind of waiting to see what that is. You know, Chris Max threw out the name of Marcus Gasol. I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure that that's the direction that that Danny wants to go in. I think if he's going to add a player, he's going to add it. He's going to try to improve the the Jay Crowder position as opposed to trying to improve the center position. Uh, I think they know their best lineup is when they're at Horford at the five, it at the one, and as good a, a, of wings that they can find that don't kill them on the on the rebounding end of things. I think that's what they're really hoping to build here. And it's not going to be with Marcus no. Soule playing 40 minutes a night. That's just not Brad Stevens' ball. That's not the ball of the they, NBA now. No, exactly. they want flexibility, and they want – it's really funny because, Danny, we used to talk about this in the early 2000s before this era ever even started to, to appear, and guys like Ryan Gomes. But he – and Rudy Gay was somebody that we used to hear about a lot because Danny loved those super long threes. Well, now he really wants three of those guys, and he wants to play them at the two, the three, and the four, and to your point, anchor them with a Horford at the five and IT at the one. They kind of have it with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and now Gordon Hayward. It's already it's already kind of there, but I hear what you're where you're going with that. As far as, okay, so maybe they're not looking for a five, but they would love to, I mean, Paul George was such a perfect fit. And you got, the one hand, you're thinking Indiana wasn't patient. And then on the other hand, maybe you're thinking that there's something else to that story. Maybe the Celtics even pulled out of it. I don't know, but it doesn't make sense that Indiana would just all of a sudden take on a little bit of an albatross contract, not an albatross, but, but a bigger one than necessary for the player. When you know there had to be better offers out there. Real quick on station identification. Follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter. At CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. The entire CLNS Media Network. At CLNS Media. And the Facebook page. Facebook.com slash CLNS Fans. Download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. You'll find our show there. If you haven't already. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace and the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media for high definition, full length locker room interviews 
the Garden Report during the season, the Celtics Roundtable, which is really killing it these days. Definitely go see our buddy Sam Sheehan on the Roundtable. That's all right there on the YouTube channel and our show. And we're just a little bit of a programming note. John and I are going to begin dabbling into a little bit of video. So when we do head down that path in the next uh, couple of weeks, you'll be able to see our ugly mugs on the YouTube channel where we're broadcasting the show's audio today. So I know, John, you're excited for it. I've always felt like I got a face (laughs) for radio. Uh, Yeah. I guess we'll see how it goes. It'll be interesting to get the commentary. It will be something. (laughs) Interesting, frightening, you know, all all the same. It it will be uh, anxiously anticipated. Let's put it that way. It'll be great. It'll be great. And and I will say the YouTube comments on our shows have been fabulous. People have really been diving in and talking about stuff. So that's a great place you can go to to talk about, um, you know, what you hear from us and where you like us and where you think we're completely idiotic. And that's, you know, a good part of the show. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we, I talk with a lot of you guys on Twitter, and that's a great a great spot. But but YouTube is, has got that forum right there, and, and a lot of people who – who uh, probably don't even know about the podcast, but have found us via YouTube, uh, have kind of picked up. So we're loved, loving that, and uh, hopefully people people will continue to, to get involved and, and communicate with each other. All right, so we don't really know, as we were talking before the station identification break, we don't really know who that player might be. As we said, seemed like Paul George was the most perfect fit for what they were trying to do. As it stands today, and we will have to talk a little bit about Summer League, and this conversation does pull in the Jalen Brown and the Jason Tatum and the semi-Ujules of the world into the debate a little bit. But I think for the most part, that's more of a second unit conversation. I can see a couple of different scenarios for the starting lineup. I know the one I think that's most likely will start there. I think Jalen Brown gets the start this year. I think it'll be IT, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Jay Crowder, and Al Horford. That's my, that's what I think is the most likely scenario. Just because we did see that defense not suffer and we saw the attention coming off of Jalen Brown in terms of offensive responsibility was a good thing for him and it allowed him to just pick his spots and there were certain times in games where he could get aggressive going to the hole. Having uh, Gordon Hayward in that lineup, if you really just look at the one he was in, you take out Amir Johnson and add Gordon Hayward. That's incredible. It'll do a ton for spacing and allow Jalen to attack even more, and he should find some open corner threes. He can begin to work his way into the offense, but do what he primarily needs to be able to do the best with this club to get minutes and earn Brad Stevens trust, that's play defense. He'll be able to focus on it, grow in that role, similar to how Avery Bradley did and continue to develop an offense that does need more polish, quite frankly, not as polished as Jason Tatum, who we'll get to in a second. So that's what I think is the most likely starting lineup. Another one that's pretty likely that I could see is very similar. You still get that Jay Crowder at the four Al Horford at the five, Gordon on the wing, but then you put in Marcus Smart. He plays the one. He works as a facilitator. He covers the more difficult guard assignment defensively. And then we work Isaiah off the ball, and he's the off guard in that scenario. I could see that happening 
almost as likely as my personal favorite with Jalen Brown in the starting lineup. I just think that Terry Rozier is not a facilitator. He's more of an off guard, and I think that's why they wind up going. This is sort of the second one. They might experiment a lot next year because of all this flexibility they have with positions, but that's my number two for that reason. I think they need Marcus Smart directing the offense off the bench. And then a third one would obviously be with the Marcus Morris addition, you drop Gordon Hayward to the two alongside Isaiah Thomas. Jay Crowder plays the three, Morris the four, and Horford the five. Those are probably the three most likely lineups. I've also heard people say that they think Aaron Baines would be the starting center, basically subbing him into the uh, Amir Johnson role and dropping uh, Horford to the four, and Gordon Hayward takes Avery Bradley's spot. I don't think there's any chance that that happens. I think it's much more that Aaron Baines is there, as you said, to provide toughness, maybe get some rebounds and give them some flex, give them something that they don't have in the lineup in terms of an interior defender, rebounder style player. Uh, but I think it'll be situational. What do you think, John? Where are you landing on maybe the order of some of those starting lineups and what you think is the most likely? Well, I certainly would like some of the lineups that you had talked about, either having having Crowder at the four, basically, Hayward at the three, and then either it being Jalen or, or Smart in, in as the two or, or maybe the one um, guarding twos, I guess, in, in, in Smart's case, maybe. Um, that would be that would be the ideal to me. I, I'd like to see that. I'm just not sure if to keep everybody happy <laughs> – and I'm really looking at, at Crowder and looking at, at Horford in particular, that's the direction that that, that Stevens will want to go. I could see him starting Morris or starting Baines and going a little bigger and allowing Horford and Crowder to play more of a natural place that they like to be as so opposed to – So you're thinking Hayward at the two. You think they'll play him possibly. as a, a, a yeah. tall shooting guard. Yeah, and I don't like it. I I don't think that's a. I, I don't think I don't like I don't like doing that. The question I do it with Clay Thompson. Has, I do it with Clay Thompson. I don't do it with Gordon Hayward. But yeah, but I don't. I, I think this is less about Hayward. I think this has a lot more to do about Horford and Crowder. You know, I think that's where that's where where Stevens is trying to keep everybody happy. I think that was his his attempt attempt last year was was. You know, put a mirror next to to Horford, and and knowing that, I guess he had fewer options off the bench in terms of that that next guy up who could play up front. Now it's a little bit better with with Morris and with Baines than than what he had last year. But I I just get the sense that he's going to want to to keep Horford a little bit fresher, give him a little bit less time with the with the banging of the bodies, um, and and he I think that's the direction he'll go in. I, I don't think that's the, for the best for the team, and I also don't think that that's the best for everyone playing their best position to their capabilities and using the the strength of the team, which is really on the wing now. You know, between Brown and and Tatum joining in Hayward and and Crowder, I think it, it would be foolish for them to to do that. But I wonder if he's going to try to keep those two incumbent starters happy, and that's I I, I you know I could see why he'd do it. I don't, I just don't like 
it's kind of like playing David Lee too much. You know, it's just, it's one thing he's trying to do to keep some people happy, but in the end, you wonder how much Horford accepted the spot of playing the, the center position full time in the playoffs. I wonder if that, that type of thing was eye opening enough for him to say, you know what? I sh- this is where I've got to be now because that's where the league is. Maybe there's a realization there. I don't know, but I think so. I, hate- I don't think. I hope so. I don't think. I don't think he. Honestly, in this system, just look at the way he's utilized. Yeah. Okay. Right. The way Atlanta played, you don't want to be a five, and I get that. But in this system, he's a facilitator at the five. That nothing changes in terms of really how they utilize him, except to say that maybe they want to push him a little bit more into the post for scoring, but he, they're still going to do that. It doesn't change by putting Morris or Baines in there alongside him and calling them the five instead of him. The way that the offense is designed, there is no five. They sacrifice rebounds intentionally. And I think the way you sell it to him is, I know you're not Draymond Green. I get that you're a different player. And we're going to have our system our own way. But that guy right there is way shorter than you and plays center on the best team in the NBA right now. There's no reason in our system where everything is constantly switching and you're moving around and you're roaming and we're still going to have you shoot from outside that that you should be offended by being listed at the center because truthfully – the terms for these positions don't mean anything for the Boston Celtics. I think he buys in 100%. I think that that is an antiquated argument for Al Horford's attitude, and it's all coming from Atlanta. I don't think there's an ounce of it in Boston, to be honest with you. I shoot it down. I say, bah. I say, bah. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think there's anything to it in Boston. I really don't. I hope so. I mean, I, I think the league has changed a lot from – from those types of conversations, when those conversations were taking place in, in, uh, in Atlanta, you know, I mean, I think things are just so much different. This league has changed so much. And I know that he did say, you know, I, I appreciate what Amir does and I appreciate what Amir does next to me. And he, he did make those comments last year. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think he's completely without seeing that. Who else well, was going to do it? There was the only reliable player on the team who was going to be in position to do, make those plays. You know, we right. loved Zeller. We loved Olinick, but they didn't do anything like that, right? Olinick, right. if anything, was duplicative of Horford, even though they wanted to play Horford that way, even when he was at the five. Okay, okay, so let's, let's go a step further. Everyone's talking, cause I, I listened to a couple of podcasts today that they were doing that. They were laying out the starting five. So let's, let's go down the road, like, let's go down, let's say you and I are Brad Stevens. We're the left and right brain of Brad Stevens. God help us. What do we, what's your next five? Cause you know Brad's gonna play ten, right? What's your next five that go in? My next you, five. You, well, so we yeah. have to we have to settle on a starting lineup. So we're going to say it's mine. Yeah, yeah. We're going to say it's the okay. one I want. It's it Brown. Which one was the one you wanted? <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. remember. <laughs> it Brown, Hayward, Crowder, Horford. Okay. Of so, course, Jalen Brown's in your starting lineup. My yep. my apologies. You're yeah, right, you're right. You should have known. You should have known. <laughs> so what a jerk. 
I'm going to go Marcus Smart, Terry yep. Rozier, Jason Tatum. Uh, Baines is going to be at the five and Morris at the four. That's my that's my okay. off the bench next five. So let's let's de- let's deconstruct that that five a little bit, right? So you've got Smart and Baines are your two non shooters, right? Then you've got Rozier and Morris and Tatum, Tatum spreading the floor a bit. That that does it for me. I'm okay with that. I mean, it's not. I mean, Super, Tatum but, really gets an opportunity to work ISO in that lineup because he's still got Rozier who can hit the three, and he can also drive, but he can hit the three. Morris can hit the three, so he's still got some people to space it out. And Tatum can also hit the three, but as as we know, he was the only other true three-level scorer other than Markel Fultz in this draft. We're seeing it in Summer League. He looks incredible. Are we ever? And and I are we I think ever? when you put out when you put him even though Jalen Brown and he will be the future of the Celtics and often together out on the floor as they emerge, provided they don't get traded in some package someday, I really feel like the Celtics are committed to those two players for the future. I also feel like they're committed to Marcus Smart. And so there's some value in having the three of them out there together, except for what I said earlier. Brown's offense is just not polished enough. I'd actually prefer to keep Brown out of the way on that second unit and either put non-shooters that provide some sort of a role or along with a more veteran presence with Tatum and really let Tatum just figure out how to pass. That's He's a good passer, but I'm not sure that he totally grasps it in the offense. He could be a real focal point. They could utilize him to score, and I wouldn't be surprised if there aren't times this season – where the small ball lineup pulls out a Jay Crowder and puts in a Tatum or some variation on that so that he can be the guy that, you know, if they have to, they can run an isolation play because I'll tell you what, what he's doing in Summer League is not teachable. His confidence, his disposition, folks, that's what you should be excited about. I know he's averaging a double-double in points and rebounds. That's not what I'm excited about. I mean, I am I always liked his high release and his length, and we talked about that in January when I even started to say, I don't know, man, I really like him, and he's not even in the top three, you know, consensus. He's like this number four guy, but I love this. He will get his shot off in the NBA day one, especially when defenses don't have to focus on him entirely, and I would just – he's a killer. He is a killer. You can see it. His demeanor says, I'm going to hit the big shot. Yeah. yeah. No, and that first, just first summer league game, right? I mean, to hit the game winner. Against right? Fultz. Against Fultz. I mean, let's just, just to deconstruct that a little bit, right? Okay, so you're going into this game. Fultz has red blood in his eyes for the Celtics. He is not pleased with what went down. He knows this was disrespect, right? The Celtics disrespected Fultz to the point where they said, yeah, we could have you, but we're going to go through this whole, like, thing so we could not take you. Because yeah, we don't and want you. That's what they said. We don't we want, don't you. want right. you. We don't want you. We'll take somebody else who's further down because we don't think they're that good. Whoa, right? Everybody else is saying he's good. And so, you know, he's going in ready to kill. And he played, he played, he played hard at the beginning. But it, 
there was it was clear it was very clear that Tatum had a, a full package you know just as full package as Fultz to be able to score and do a lot of different things out there now look I think we've seen in the week or so since that Tatum's game is going to need refinement it's going to need a, a a visit to the lab with Brad and Brad's going to say look <laughs> I'm okay with you taking the mid-range shots but they better be good shots. You better shoot a high enough percentage, and we're going to want you taking threes or getting to the bucket. You know, the, the shot selection has not been really what's out of the Brad Stevens mold. So it's going to take except some time on that some. end. Except he, he does. Some. I know, but you know, I mean, this is – he's going to have that latitude because he's got the ability. He clearly has that next-level ability that most guys don't have. There's a reason why Chris Brad's Paul is not shoot. in the business of telling people not to be successful. That's that's my attitude on that. Will they talk to him and say, "Look, this shot was contested, and what we love about you is that you can get your shot off even when you're when it is contested, but let's not take contested shots when look over here this guy is open." It's going to yep. be the decision making with the ball in his hand, which is exactly why you separate Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in the starting lineup and off the bench. Not because those two couldn't play together and didn't look really nice, especially in games one and two in summer league together, but it's the right thing to do. I think you need to let each one of them learn on their own instead of, I don't want to say stunt each other's growth, but there is an element to that. There is there is risk of yeah. the two of them not having the court vision that they need to play in this in this in this style of offense. Yeah, and to go with that, I think this year there was a second unit there of of Smart, Rozier, and Jalen Brown to start the year, and it and it didn't work. I think for a lot of those reasons, you know, it just there wasn't a continuity, there wasn't a veteran savvy and understanding of of what to do and where to be. And you know, I think Rozier in this year two was more prepared for that. I think Smart really showed he could run the team quite well when when he was in charge of running with veterans but there's just too many variables in that scenario and that strengthens your hand I think for what you'd said about Baines and, and Morris too because that having those guys helps erase a lot of mistakes that you'd see with other other lineups you know when you have Tatum Rozier smart you have those veterans to protect the rim, protect the paint, and and be the kind of backing that those younger players need in Tatum, Rosier, and Smart. I think that's great. And, and but I, let's I also, keep in mind too, it's yeah. not a five in and five out scenario. No, and and actually, I, I back that's in, they got in trouble this year. Right, you you just can't do that. So if you think about Brown in the starting lineup, the natural segue and shift from first unit to second unit is Smart. He steadies the course. So he then comes in, Isaiah works uh, off the ball, Brown comes out, and then eventually Isaiah comes out and Rozier comes in. And they can do some similar things on the wing, uh, depending on the personnel. You almost think Tatum would wait for Isaiah to come out while Hayward is still in. But there's a lot of yeah. – I'm not sure where it goes after Smart, but Smart is the obvious first one. And then from there, I'm thinking maybe maybe Morris comes in instead of Crowder. I mean, in for Crowder. And then whenever Tatum comes in for Hayward, maybe Crowder comes in. There's some there's some shift there though that and I can't quite 
I can't quite figure that part out. But that's really, you know, who's coming in for who and at what times and what combinations of experience do you want on the floor at the same time? Right. You're going to have a lot of Tatum IT and a lot of smart um, Hayward lineups. I think it was just because of that cross. No, I totally agree. That's what I just, that's, just like what you're saying. Absolutely. And I, and that's a great thing for Tatum. As long as Tatum understands when you're behind the three point arc and you've got that corner three, you take, you don't hesitate. You don't dribble in. You don't try to take the 15 footer. You take the shot and he's going to score points. He's going to get confidence. That's the, that's the thing I want him to keep this year. And I think he's got it. He's got that kind of quiet confidence that we saw from a certain guy who did does the same <laughs> the dice routine that we all saw and, and let me just say isn't that the greatest thing ever right Jalen Brown Legacy. Jason Tatum doing the doing the dice the crafts table I mean it's just you know what I love about amazing. it I love and it because you Tatum, know that Tatum had no idea but no, on, but idea. on the exact flip side you know that that's exactly why Brown did it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love Jalen for that. I just love that he's such a student, you know, and, and it's just, you're right. It is, it's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent awesome. Oh, it is. I mean, you, you can't, you can't, you can't even write this stuff better. The, the, the step back, you know, elbow jumper, the, the dice thing. And then you got Jay King asking, you know, Tatum, you know, what did you take from, from Paul Pierce? I mean, during the, uh, the post game there of the Lakers game. I mean, it was just, it's all there. It's all right there. And now we got Chris Broussard who's, who's tweeting out saying, you know, Hayward, <laughs> Hayward, Hayward's great, but, but in two years, Jason Tatum's going to be better than Hayward. I mean, <laughs> this stuff is, it's, look. Oh, the league is in love with him. What he's done they in do. Summer League, he's the top performer. And how many times have we so, drafted somebody that we were like really hoping would be the top performer in Summer League and it doesn't happen? And then this season, a guy that many fans got completely irate that the Celtics traded down to draft is actually coming out and just lighting it up. And he does, he does. He has that, those steely eyes. You, there is a lot of Paul Pierce. I just feel like, I feel like that is the, probably the attribute that if that comes true, and that's just so important. We've missed it since Paul yeah. Pierce left. Missed it entirely. Yeah. Now, there's also this other piece where Pierce really is going to have to sign some sort of a 10-day contract and be with this club to retire as a Celtic. Is there any way that they do that, like, in the regular season somehow? I'm not saying he plays, but is there any way that they actually do that, like, during the regular season and retirement, like, the first home game and just have him on the bench suited up? And then, well, that if, would be and then if yes, if yes... How cool would the involvement of these young players and the dice routine like kind of coming together to just really make it a passing of the torch? Like how cool would that be? Yeah. No, you're right. And I don't know. It's, it's a good question. You know, I think we had talked a bit about this or maybe we, maybe we, maybe you and I off air had talked about this. No, we did on air, but it was almost a year ago. Okay. Yeah. You know, I don't know how they would do it. 
because you know they're going to. But now with 17 roster spots, you know, two of the two the two two way contracts, which probably are going to go to Jabari Bird and uh, Kadeem Allen, and then and then they have the 15, and and there's some question about how you you know Ojale's got to get in there, and so that way they can hold on to his rights. I'm not sure how they do it. Because they got to be at 15, and I think they might be up against the 15. But who knows? I don't know. You know, but you can keep more than 15 through the preseason, so maybe that's the way they do it. I, it's a good question. Look, they got to get they got to get Jason Tatum, and they got to get Paul Pierce next to him and get in his ear because I think that's that's what you need. You need that veteran savvy. Tatum's got that. He's got to get. You know, he's got the work ethic apparently. Um, he needs to get his body stronger. That's clear as day. We, yeah, he, needs he needs to find a way stuff. to get stronger. But that's where but him that's, and Jalen Brown could be such a great training partner. Absolutely. Study partner. Absolutely. And a lot of the things yeah. that they have to learn, even though their skill sets are almost mirror images of each other, um, they could help close the gaps in both of their games by taking a little bit from one another. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they could. Well, I think they're. I would say they're. they're I'd say they're complementary as much as anything, in, in just in how they can play. I think that they can be your wings for forever and ever and ever. You know, for a long time, and and they do different things, but they, what they do works well with how the other plays. I think. I think eventually Jalen will become a better north south driver. And I think Tatum will be much more of a deliberate, um, you know, herky jerky kind of find, find, get his shot off at a, I think that those two pieces will work together simultaneously. Um, and, but you're right. I don't want to throw Marcus smarter the there, dude, because yep. having Marcus facilitate the offense, be the dogged defender. Yes. Think about how long, listen, those guys, and, and I've been dreaming about this. Because that's that was one of the things we were talking about when I started thinking when I started saying when we started talking about Tatum back in January was just think about how long that would be if you had Marcus at the one, Jalen at the two, right. Tatum at the three. You've got a really long and fairly yep. strong. If, if Tatum puts muscle on, obviously he's more of the long, and then the opposite end of that is Smart being the strong. And then Jalen mm-hmm. kind of right in the middle, right? But though that at a one-two-three position is a really strong build for the future. And I know everybody said, ah, well, with the roster's construction and the cap, and they're going to have to make decisions. And then if they get a free agent, but the truth is this: they really are doing both. They are yep. contending now and building for the future. They've got first-round draft picks next year. Who knows what they'll do with those, if they'll make the selection <laughs> right. or if they'll use it in a trade and try to win even harder right now. Who knows what they'll do? It'll depend. I mean, I think, obviously, if Anthony Davis ever were to come up as an option, those picks and pretty much any player are also going to become an option. But that would still be, you know, building for – I mean, building for the future and winning now as well. Because the man is so young, but but set that conversation aside for the off season. At the same, the the real thing here is they've done both, and I'm falling mm-hmm. in love with the future. At the same time, those guys are going to be in the postseason. They're going to be getting reps when the game is on the line. They're going to have Marcus Smart needs to hit a crap load of three pointers to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers kind of game. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the. It, it it goes back to the first thing we were talking about 
or, or looking ahead to the, the first next thing, which is can they get smart under a reasonable deal here this summer? That would be, that would be the, the cherry on the Sunday really in some, in a reasonable respects of what can happen. If you're not expecting, okay, they're going to get Anthony Davis. Okay. Put that aside for a second. If they can get a reasonable deal done with Marcus, it puts them, puts that, first of all, that question out of the, out of the window. They don't have to feel like they're, they're pressured, pressured with the IT situation. They have a point guard, a young point guard who's growing and getting better. I still think that they're going to give IT the money and they're going to back up the Brinks truck, though not at the, you know, full max, but, you know, probably 25, 28 million dollars. He's going to get paid well, uh, probably south of what, you know, Lowry got, but that's okay. And, but they're going to have that all lined up with those young guys. Like you said, Smart, Brown, Tatum, boom, done. Those three, you have two, very likely two top five picks coming at you next summer on a draft loaded with big men. So there's your four, five, one, two, three, four, five. There's your team for the future. Well, and you've got, oh, by Yabu the way, and, the car- and, and even though and, and the conference finals, right? And, right. <laughs> The I mean, only concern is mileage on their bodies for having so many extended seasons in their youth. That would be the only, I guess, potential consequence, but they're not, they're not going to be responsible for the wins. So yeah. they're really hopefully just getting the experience. If you think about the mileage on guys, and you know what? I'm going to throw that argument right out. I'm glad I brought it up because it might be one that people thought of. But I'm going to throw it right out the window because if you look at other players in the league, when in the early going, I mean, they wind up playing 35 plus minutes a night, 38 minutes a night. They're the reason that the tickets are selling and they're the, they're the draw. And so, and they play that whole 82 game schedule that they're not used to coming out of a one and done, like literally high school one and done out there. Now they've got to get through the rigors of the NBA season. And they're putting a ton of mileage on. One of the benefits, actually, is these guys will get postseason experience, but they're probably only going to average at the most low 20 minutes per game through the first several years of of their careers. But they'll get postseason experience instead of just a whole bunch of regular season experience playing games on a night-in and night-out basis and never playing games that matter because the team around them is just not good enough for them to compete for any kind of playoff wins or series so interesting little let's do a little little basketball reference quick question of you let's see if we i'm going to ask you this question i can already tell you you, i'm going to fail no no you might i think you might get this who played more minutes this year jalen brown or or brandon ingram number two pick number three pick in the draft who played more minutes this year it should be brandon ingram but i'm going to it's got to be Brandon Ingram. It's, it's Brown. Ingram. You're telling me it's Brown, so, though. Because I no, feel like that was a trap question. <laughs> so, like, because you had to ask it, see, this is how I right. think. Because you had to ask it, I wanted to go Brown because that would be the only reason for you to ask the question. But at the same time, it should have been Ingram. It should have been. So, so Jalen Brown played, well, let's say Brandon Ingram, he played – 79 games, started 40. He played 2,279 minutes for the Los Angeles Lakers this past season. Shut down for summer league now with a cramp, okay? 
All right. Jalen Brown this year played uh, 78 games in, in the regular season, and then he played another oh, 17 in the playoffs. the postseason. Including the postseason. Oh, I, don't, I probably Jaylen, would have gone with Brown for sure. Jalen Brown? No, Jalen Brown only played 1,556 minutes. Still only played 1,500. So I was right. It is Ingram. So, in so Ingram games. did play by by 50% more. He played more, played more minutes. So I guess what, what we're saying is I don't think that we're putting, we're taxing their bodies at all. And in fact, it's probably a, a far greater benefit to them because of the type of competition and experiences that they're a part of. Um, well, I, think it's, I think it's a fun. They get to learn the conditioning of the NBA game and get their exactly. bodies to a point where they can take that kind of a pounding when their number's yeah. called instead of taking the pounding before they're ready and maybe suffering some long-term consequences. Look at Philly. Although, I mean, I'm in, like Joel Embiid is a, is not a good example of the, you know, of that because obviously he never even saw the floor for the first two years, completely unrelated to professional ball. But look at the injuries that they do seem to suffer. Even unfortunately, Markel Fultz shut down for summer league. Won't see him again until the beginning of the season. But, if you think about it, you know, a team like that with so many young players, I'm not trying to cite the NBA game. I'm just saying that maybe there's something to the level of competition and the transition from college to uh, the pros and the size of the defenders and the size of the other players and just the amount of, of games, except just all of those factors that they just really – kick the ass of the player's body before the body's ready to handle it. I mean, wasn't that a big uh, point that the Celtics organization and specifically Danny made about why they drafted Jalen Brown? What did what did we hear them say the most? Probably the most common refrain was, he has an NBA-ready body. Mm-hmm. Ready to play now. Ready to go right now. Absolutely. I, that's And that's where, you know, Tatum, I think we may see less of him than we expect just because the skill might be there but but in terms of 12 minutes the build he's off the bench it's right yeah there. that's it's his slot that's about it yep i totally yep. agree and that's okay i think you know you give him 5 6 minutes a, a half to go out there and try to fit in and that's tough that is a really tough thing to do to try to to be effective in 6 minutes stints that's not an easy thing but if he wants to be able to be the player, he's got to put his head down and try to figure that out. And that, I think that a mental adjustment may be the hardest thing that he's got to do, even more so than physically bulking up. Mentally, he's got to be prepared for the fact that, look, this is not going to be easy. Um, thankfully, he's got a little bit, maybe thank, not, thankfully for being a Duke fan, but thankfully for Tatum, he's got a little bit of adversity to, to, to go back for him because last year was not easy for him. A lot of these guys, they go to high, they go to college, they're st- stars for, for five, six years they go to college of the star there then they're the top pick and then it's you know going you know off into the stratosphere in the nba and then they're encountering some diff some difficulties here tatum had some problems last year not of tatum's own doing but but all his foot obviously the foot strain and everything that went on at duke he had a really tough road 
to get to this point. And he's unbowed by it. And and certainly we've seen that he went out there, played his game, has played well in summer league thus far. And I think we're going to continue to see that growth. So I'm I'm pretty excited with the uh, the potential, the outcome of of where he goes with this. And those six minute stints will be important. But also don't be don't be surprised if Tatum gets benched and we see Shimmy Ojale playing those minutes, or we see you know, you know kind of them go in a different direction. And Morris plays the three, and they go you know. Zizic at the five and Bates at the four. I mean, Brad is not afraid to mix things up to, to play guys to, to who are playing to their capabilities. And as a young kid, Brown had there were times he was out of the rotation, and then he came back with a vengeance. So that's you make part a of good being young, that inconsistency. We should have spent more time talking about Shimmy, but I'll have to wrap on this, and we'll talk more about him. I'll say I love how quick and high his release is. His gather can be a little low, but for the most part, it's in the right spot. But he really does have an amazingly quick release. I think that his ability to hit the three ball 100% translates to the NBA. That's amazing. And then with Tatum, uh, just another summer league note as we wrap, the thing about Tatum was that people were saying that he was so much better at the start of summer league than he was closing out his college career. And that to yeah. me is, it, it has, has got to do everything. It has to, it, I think it has everything to do with that late start because just conditioning, mm-hmm. just all like his performances were very strong and he got stronger as the season went on, but he really did never, if you really think about how a player gets ready for a season, he really never had a chance to hit his peak. And, that's and right. I think that's all we're seeing now. And, I think it's very astute of the Celtics brass to realize that maybe he would have been right in that conversation at number one had he been healthy for that entire season. And there's something to be noted there that despite the fact that Fultz was a consensus top overall pick or even that Lonzo Ball should have been number two, we really don't know what that conversation would have been like had Tatum been 100% to start the season and played – you know, at this level that we're seeing now in summer league, the entire year under the direction of Mike Shashevsky. And I think also him playing these these two best games have been the games where Demetrius Jackson has played quite a bit, and you can see what playing with a competent point guard does. And that you know that whether it's those two summer league games and not really having it throughout the season at Duke and trying to figure it out. I'm excited to see what he can do with IT and smart guys who kind of understand an offense, understand how to get guys their shots and, and create opportunities for them. I think that's going to benefit Tatum a lot, probably more so than the ISO work. Um, just find a way to, he's just got to understand to catch and shoot and be a little bit less deliberate. Uh, I think that's great. And, and just real quick on Ojale before we wrap, he was playing small ball five. <laughs> he was, he was playing so well defending Zubac at the end, you know, in that third quarter going to the fourth that they had to take Zubac off the floor and, and then usually kept playing. So yeah, everybody was thinking, his Crowder, Dr- yeah, everybody was thinking Jay Crowder. Maybe they should have been thinking Draymond. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's there for him. He doesn't have the length, the wingspan, but certainly the, the bulk dude can, Dude's got combat muscles. Yeah, that that sure. that's an NBA ready NBA ready body for sure. But all right, 
That's going to do it for this week. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everyone for tuning in this week. And remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.